Uh, moving on to a place that's got a huge amount of history, this is Nanjing, uh, which is on the Yangtze River. It's just over an hour away on the high-speed rail uh, from Shanghai. And uh, we were asked to look at uh, a, a development strategy for an island uh, uh, just on, on, in the Yangtze River. Um, these are quite common, uh, uh, but what's quite unusual about this one is that it's central, because the center of Nanjing is right here, and you can cycle from Shinjuku, which is their CBD, uh, to, to the site in about half an hour. So it's, it's pretty central, and taxi 15 or 20 minutes. Um, and uh, it is a place of history, but quite interestingly, the client, you know, and they're very proud of, uh, proud of their city as, as uh, one of the former capitals of China, but they also want people to think, when they think of Nanjing, to think about the future, not the past. So, yes, uh, they have a, this uh, one for the Purple Mountain and the Western Lake uh, and the city walls, which the Japanese didn't destroy uh, in the 30s, despite their best efforts. Um, those, those are great for tourism and for the city's idea and identity of itself. Um, but it was very much about trying to create a, a new image uh, for, for, for Nanjing. Um, and uh, the island uh, uh, <coughs> that we were asked to look at is about 20 kilometers top to bottom. Uh, it's got this wonderful, uh, it's this wonderful uh, um, mixture of, uh, it's kind of this beautiful alluvial island with these strip farms with these uh, viaducts, with the Metasequoia avenues, the Redwood avenues, uh, with vineyards, uh, with these linear villages. And uh, the overall strategy was actually to keep most of that intact and to focus development on places that were gaining new infrastructure. And those included a metro station, Nanjing, similar, similar to Shanghai, has got this uh, incredibly uh, uh, ambitious uh, plan uh, for its metro system. So this would be on the metro network. Um, but the idea which we, which we didn't have to really fight for was that you kept most of the island as it was, uh, as, this, uh, as, this, um, <coughs> as a landscape, uh, as the defining idea for the whole new place, which was to become a home for uh, high-tech industry and for knowledge-intensive industry. Nanjing is a center of high-end manufacturing and production it's got some very fine universities, and the idea was that well, this would become a uh, focus for that kind of activity along with uh, the usual mixture, which included um, and just people, 250,000 people would live and work here. Um, and so it was very much about landscape and coming up with landscape strategies, uh, uh, extending the canal network uh, to create uh, that identity for this place. And, what was quite uh, gratifying about this uh, project is that we were not asked to join the Funny Shapes Club. I think in China, maybe 10 years ago, they'd say, let's get a foreign architect in with the latest uh, Gary software to do some, throw some funny shapes. Um, I think those days are over, and you can see it in the sophistication of some of the more recent uh, building projects. And I think both the indigenous architecture and architecture from abroad has improved massively in the last 10 years to the extent that some of the finest examples of modern architecture, uh, in particular, I wouldn't say urbanism yet, are, are to be found, in, in, certainly in the major cities. Um, uh, so moving on to one of the scary places, <laughs> Shanghai. Um, uh, and again, I mean, I think... Uh, I just did this diagram to illustrate uh, that scale issue. 
those places have the same population. So how, I mean, it's just quite, I mean, they don't have a cricket team, but uh, 24 million people in a city, how do you plan for that? You know, it's, it's just quite something to, to reflect on how, how things have changed over the last 10 years. Um, uh, one, of the, one of the key thing, issues here has been decentralization. So in addition to the infrastructure investment, uh, the Shanghai government has actually looked at these um, at a multi-centric city. So uh, it's in fact, it's almost like having a city with a Perth to the west and a Melbourne to the south and, uh, and uh, Sydney to the east uh, within, within the metropolitan landscape. And, and this was, uh, we were asked to look by, by Tishman Speyer, an American multinational, to look at uh, <coughs> this bit over here, which is the last remaining wetland complex uh, in Shanghai, Jiangwan New Town. Um, <coughs> and uh, uh, it's a place uh, which, which, is, which is quite special and unusual in Shanghai in that there's quite a lot of blue and green water and, and uh, uh, estuary landscape. Um, and the images on the left were taken uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, what's quite interesting in China, and it's a great place for landscape architects, if any of you are landscape architects, but they, the infrastructure comes with landscape design, and it's sometimes it's of exceptional quality. You know, I've walked around both Shanghai and Nanjing and asked the guys, you know, who did this, and they just say, oh, it's some office down the road, you know, somebody you've never heard of. Um, I think that the, 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 <coughs> the, the standards of infrastructure design that comes up front is, uh, in my experience, uh, it's generally pretty high. Um, so that's a diagram showing uh, the, the four major centres that are, are being uh, envisaged. That's, that's the central Shanghai over there. Uh, that's Pudong, uh, which again happened because government decided it would happen. That's where all those big shiny towers that Barry was saying are, are, are now. Um, and it being China, they've kind of assigned <laughs> what each of these centres are for uh, and have got on with, uh, with uh, implementing them. And we've got this guy over here, I'm not going to risk the pronunciation, it is basically is done. Um, uh, and uh, <clears throat> I think what we are quite keen to do with this master plan is, is build on the DNA of what makes uh, Shanghai. And it's quite a wide uh, array of things. It's got the, um, obviously, the old Chinese city. You can see, still see the city walls on Google Earth in the alignment of contemporary streets. It's got the colonial bits, uh, the French concession with their wonderful plain tree avenues. Um, but it's actually, uh, it's a place where things kind of coexist. So the picture on the left was sent to me by Terry Farrell when uh, Farrell's opened their Shanghai office at the end of 2011. I think that summarizes what it's all about, which is, uh, you know, you've got these sort of uh, commercial towers at the back. Those are, those are about 10 years old, so they've got slightly funny shapes at the top. You've got the mass, the kind of mass, uh, mass mass uh, uh, market housing that people like Von K. Bold. Um, you've got this incredible expressway, which isn't as damaging. I uh, isn't as damaging as I had first feared when I went there ten years ago and just thought these guys are going to mess this whole place up. Um, and then you have a bit of parkland, and then you have the Shikomen uh, low-rise housing in the front, which actually endures. It's interesting. You actually see some of this housing in uh, central Shanghai, a cheek by jowl with some of the highest retail value uh, developments, the highest commercial value developments in the world. You know, opposite Plaza 66 on Nanjing Road, you have three-storey houses and they're fabulous. 
And I don't think in those particular cases government would dare to take those guys on because those communities have been there for several generations. They're very successful, uh, stable places. And I think that it's interesting to see that, you know, um, what one might call working class neighbourhoods right in these very high value locations persisting. I think that's the magic of the place. Um, so, so, so we took uh, some of that urbanism as part of our strategy for the site, and I won't describe to you at length because I, I think I'm probably running out of time. Um, but it's combined with the, the big infrastructure investment that's been uh, made, not only by our government and the Shanghai Metro, but also by our client. Um, so you have these uh, incredible three-dimensional environments. Some of the those of you who've worked in China will know there's always a game about uh, what counts as GFA and what doesn't. In Shanghai, we've had interesting uh, conversations with the planning bureau in Shanghai about what ground level is and where it starts and ends. <laughs> because anything in the basement uh, isn't counted towards what the planning bureau will allow. So in Shanghai, anything uh, 900, less than 900 millimeters um, above what the government survey says ground level land uh, the ground level is, uh, isn't accountable. So <laughs> you get these kind of quite, quite uh, interesting things happening with, uh, you know, you're walking through what is a basement that feels like ground level. Uh, anyway, that's uh, the sort of thing we did there. And, and this is quite interesting. Um, again, I mean, they're commercial images. Uh, it's a commercial scheme. But uh, the Planning Bureau actually encouraged our client to consider this, the, the main address of the site as this huge civic space. And it's quite... In civic space in China is quite interesting. It's usually quite carefully curated, and I'm putting that very politely. And it's, you know, so for instance, things like People's Square aren't really People's Squares. <laughs> um, and there's usually quite amusing lists of things you can't do inside those spaces. I, I didn't include the photograph, but, uh, um, you know, uh, you see them on the internet. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's like... 35 things you can't do in this space. But anyway, the, the, as part of this project, the client uh, and the Planning Bureau agreed that this would be this fantastic new civic space with a cultural element, which is a Planning Bureau requirement, fronting onto it uh, as part of the scheme. So that was quite gratifying. I'm just going to close on a few words about heritage. This is a, a very uh, beautiful and poetic uh, opening description by Professor Liang Yong. Uh, uh, Professor Wu, I'll say, my pronunciation is truly awful, so I'm sorry about that. But this introduced a book about uh, the lost towns of Chongqing, uh, which is one of the most scary places in terms of growth and change. Um, and this was uh, published about 10 years ago. It was simply an essay on the value of the landscape uh, in this very rapidly changing environment uh, and some of the buildings and heritage. Um, and uh, a lot of that has disappeared in the last 10 years, but I think um, attitudes to heritage are changing in China. Um, these are, I mean, you've all read uh, Bacon's Design of Cities. He calls this one of the greatest things ever achieved by humanity. Uh, that's the Beijing city plan and the diagrams that underpin it. Uh, and what's quite interesting is that the whole thing is a grid. Um, it's this mega grid, this sort of Milton Keynes type wide rows on the one hand, but also uh, it goes down to the domestic scale, um, down to the courtyards with lanes as wide as sort of 1.2 metres, you know, and we can touch the walls on both sides, um, which has underpinned the development of Beijing. Uh, and that's just an image of the city centre, which demonstrates how 
despite, um, I think, Mao-era city plan actually defined a height limit for central Beijing. So you do actually have, despite the fact that a lot of it's disappeared and a lot of it remains a threat, there's an awful lot of these uh, hutong, uh, hutongs remain in quite central locations. Um, and the private sector um, has taken uh, the initiative in regenerating many uh, of the older uh, buildings and places in China. So the top left is a very famous 798 art district, um, uh, which has actually been capitalized on by developers now who sort of brand anything within half a mile 798. You know, here's the 798 mall, here's the 798 this residential complex, here's a 798 hotel, etc, etc. But that's been incredibly... I think government has looked at these, uh, uh, the success of, of these uh, independent initiatives and developments and uh, is, is, is actually starting to do a range of projects that have heritage components. So Xianmen uh, Road on the right is by uh, some uh, friends and colleagues of mine in Beijing, which is to restore the, the major avenue uh, in Beijing. Uh, and that's all going ahead now. Uh, and I was involved with, with these guys at the Beijing Institute of Architectural Design in a new strategy for the financial street, which is, on, uh, which is over here. Um, that's the second ring road, the slightly darker yellow Forbidden City. Uh, that's the CBD with a uh, OMA CCTV building on it. Um, we were actually asked to come up with a strategy for five square kilometers um, uh, around financial street, which is a 20-year-old uh, commercial master plan by SOM, very successful. If you do work in China, you'll be competing against these guys. It isn't easy. A lot of the main opposition is American. <coughs> no question about it. But anyway, <coughs> we were asked to look at a broader area, uh, come up with an urban strategy. And we, we came up with a proposition that if uh, Beijing wants to become more important as a financial capital, it can't possibly try and copy Hong Kong or Singapore or Shanghai or Tokyo or New York. It has to actually build on the qualities that make it stand out. And we said that is about the grid, it's about the hutongs. You know, in London, a lot of the appeal uh, for bankers and uh, the people who support uh, financial capital is about the quality of life and going to the pub afterwards to gossip about the market or boast about how much money you've made. It's about your immediate environment as well as what the city can offer. And uh, <clears throat> the idea that we could, could use that as, a, as, a, as the basic idea for, for a strategy for a commercial master plan was, I would say, enthusiastically received, which is a great pleasure. And another great pleasure, and again, this is a big lesson for those of you who want to work in China, um, one of the great pleasures here was working closely with people uh, at BIAD uh, and with local government uh, in a workshop environment, which, uh, which is actually quite unusual. Usually if you're working for a commercial client, they just say, right guys, here are the planning parameters, here's the GFA, if you don't maximise it, you're in trouble and I won't work with you again. If you make any kind of uh, mistake, uh, you're in history, <laughs> I'll tell all my mates. So, so it was great being able to work in this sort of collabor collaborative uh, workshop environment on, on a piece of urban strategy. Um, and and uh, the outcomes for the commercial areas as well as for the uh, sort of surrounding, the hutong areas, the low-rise hutong areas, was based on the idea that the, uh, uh, Beijing's uh, DNA is about a grid um, and it's about permeability uh, and, uh, <coughs> and the flexibility that that grid brings. And, uh, Overall, 
um, the idea that public realm adds value and actually creates identity was something that was accepted and which formed a key part of the overall strategy. And I'll, I'll leave it there. I've probably taken far too much time. Uh, apologies. Thank you.